the Israelites were told to make offerings in one place. Very, very interesting, very different than the other cultures today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. As we read from Numbers chapter seven, we learn more about what God is saying. We're gonna be talking about that in about five minutes time. So stay there for that. Corey is here. I'm gonna be taking a look at what it meant for Israel to be holy, to be separated. Uh, more on that later, Ryan. Today I attempt to tackle an apparent Bible contradiction between Numbers chapter 4, Numbers chapter 8, and Ezra chapter 3. Okay, that's a lot of, lot of places there a in the Bible. A lot of places, yeah, yeah. That's very good. Okay, look forward to that in about 20 minutes time. Janice, about Today's, 25 minutes. Go ahead. Sorry. Today's segment is Gathering Together. All right, so take out your Bible guide. If you don't have one, we'll tell you how to get one in a moment. And let's open up the Bible and listen to what God is saying. Numbers 7, verses 1 through 11. Now it came to pass, when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle, that he anointed it and consecrated it and all its furnishings, and the altar and all its utensils. So he anointed them and consecrated them. Then the leaders of Israel, the heads of their fathers' houses, who were the leaders of the tribes and over those who were numbered, made an offering. And they brought their offering before the Lord, six covered carts and twelve oxen, a cart for every two of the leaders and for each one an ox. And they presented them before the tabernacle. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Accept these from them, that they may be used in doing the work of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall give them to the Levites, to every man according to his service. So Moses took the carts and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. Two carts and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon according to their service, and four carts and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari according to their service, under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. But to the sons of Kohath he gave none, because theirs was the service of the holy things which they carried on their shoulders. Now the leaders offered the dedication offering for the altar when it was anointed. So the leaders offered their offering before the altar. For the Lord said to Moses, they shall offer their offering, one liter each day, for the dedication of the altar. Numbers chapter 7, verses 1 through 11. Numbers chapter 7, chapter 8, and chapter 9. Now, with the giving of the law of God, God gave Israel the opportunity to change their culture forever. Lasting change is difficult, though, as we all know. And yet God called on Israel to reestablish themselves according to his plan. The reason for the change was simple. God had rescued Israel. As the one true God, he required faithfulness from Israel and they were not to worship other gods. 
Now, that first generation of Israelites seemed to have believed in multiple gods that would have been over different elements of life. But this God of Israel was over all elements of life, more powerful than any elements of life or anything or anyone else. Remember that the Jewish Shema instructs the Israelites, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 to 9. Now this is a significant change from the culture of Egypt the Israelites had grown up with. The God, he was faithful to them and required faithfulness from them in return. And this is fascinating as we begin to study. Now, I want you to take your Bible guide and go to today's passage, Change of Culture. And uh, as we go to today's passage, I need to tell you that if you don't have a Bible guide, why not? You can call us or write to us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. When you go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, click on the page. It'll take you to a donate page. And thank you so much for your donations. They're very helpful. Keep us alive. And then it'll take you to a page where you can download the PDF file for your computer, just like we printed it. Uh, it's a really great way to do that. So many people overseas have done that as well. All right. Now, let's pray. Father, help us today as we talk about a change of culture, because Lord, we need a change in culture right now in the West. We need a change of culture. Help us to change the way we think to be more like you, to be more like your word, to hear you, Father. Thank you, Father, and teach us your way and show us your path. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all said together, amen. Now, it came to pass when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle, that he anointed it and he consecrated it and all its furnishings and the altar and all its utensils. So he anointed them and he consecrated them. And then the leaders of Israel, the heads of their fathers' houses, who were the leaders of the tribes and over those who were numbered, made an offering they did. And they brought their offering before the Lord. Six covered carts and 12 oxen, a cart for every two of the leaders, and for each one an ox. And they presented them before the tabernacle. Okay, this is stunning. The Lord recognized their offerings in one place, the tabernacle. Now, this is a major shift in culture. They're normally worshiping wherever they want, but God said, no, worship here. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our offerings should be given through the directions of the Holy Spirit. And beloved, I would tell you, there are today it's hard because there are many churches that really are not churches. There are many places that really are not God's places, but they call themselves God's places. The Holy Spirit is the key. If the Holy Spirit speaks to us, that small voice inside of us, and tells us this is where you're hearing the Bible, this is where you need to get the teaching, and this is where you need to give, we need to respond to it. Now that's, that may be at our church, or it may be at a television ministry, or it may be at a radio ministry, or it may be at some other ministry. We need to give as the Holy Spirit teaches us to give. Very, very interesting. 
And they didn't do that. They had been giving according to their own feelings. And God shifted the change. Starts spiritually. Numbers chapter 7 verse 4 continues. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Accept these from them, that they may be used in doing the work of the tabernacle of meeting. The work of the tabernacle of meeting. And you should give them to the Levites, to every man according to his service. So Moses took the carts and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. Two carts and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershom according to their service. And four carts and eight oxen he gave to Merai according to their service. Under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. But to the sons of Kohath, he gave none, because theirs was the service of the holy things, which they carried on their shoulders. Now keep this in mind. The offerings given were designed and designated for the work of God. We should direct our offerings to the things of the Lord. So if teaching the Bible is an object of God's work, which it is, if Helping people in the name of Jesus Christ is an object of God's work, and it is. Whatever we do must be done in the name of the Lord, and whatever we give to must be doing in the name of Jesus Christ. Beloved, that's important today, because there's a lot of nonprofit organizations licensed by the government. But if we are trying to give and we're trying to serve God, then we need to give to God's work. And there's many options for you today to do that. Now, with that in mind, we go to chapter 7, verses 10 through 11. Here is what the Bible says. Now, the leaders offered the dedication offering for the altar when it was anointed. So the leaders offered their offering before the altar. For the Lord had said to Moses, they shall offer their offerings, one leader each day, for the dedication of the altar. Boy, this is so important. God's message was propagated throughout Israel. The message of Jesus Christ, God, remains the same and to all people. Do you know that 2,000 years ago, the apostles and the people were teaching about Jesus Christ? Do you know that 1,500 years ago, they were teaching about Jesus Christ? Do you know that 1,000 years ago, the church was teaching about Jesus Christ? 500 years ago, they were teaching about Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. Today, many people, including myself, are teaching about Jesus Christ. He hasn't changed. He's the same. Times have changed. Technology's changed. Everything's changed. But Jesus Christ has never changed. He's always the same. And let me tell you something. <laughs> a lot of people are saying a lot of things about constitutions and everything else, but let me tell you, the Word of God never changes. We can always trust in the Word of God. And beloved, if God tarries, when I die and go and there's another generation, they will teach about His Word and about Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is forever and ever. Amen and amen.
A key element in ancient Israel's worship of God was the idea of sacred space. Now, after Mount Sinai, Israel delineated this space with the tabernacle, and for them, sacred space seems to have been about the presence of God. Now, it takes a little bit of thought for us to grasp that concept today, though, because it's no longer a main feature of Christian worship. So a worthwhile question then is, how did Israel understand holy ground and holy space, especially considering the serious rules for the priests in the tabernacle? Now, these rules can be clearly seen in the example of the Holy of Holies, which was only to be entered on the Day of Atonement once a year by the high priest after he had ritually purified himself and offered a sacrifice for his sin. The Day of Atonement's purpose was cleansing. Now, the sacrifices and rituals removed the nation's sin so that God's presence could remain among them. And it symbolically purified the tabernacle and holy space itself so that God could continue meeting with Israel there. The ideas of sacred space, temples, and tabernacles that we see in the Bible were largely shared by the cultures that surrounded Israel in the ancient Near East. Now, interestingly, there were certain sites that were believed to be connection points between heaven and earth, which is an idea that we see come out in Genesis in the life of Jacob, when he has a dream at Bethel of that staircase on which angels were ascending and descending. So in the other cultures surrounding Israel, when a temple would be built, a sacred site would be sought out, or at least decided on through divination. And later on in Israel's history, King David also would be directed by God to the location of the future temple. But in Leviticus, the Israelites are living in the wilderness and in Numbers, they're living in the wilderness as well in this transitory state. And so the tabernacle is a tent, it's portable. The sacred space is wherever God chooses to show up. His presence is what creates sacred space. Both the Israelites of the Bible and the surrounding ancient cultures aimed then to protect sacred space by setting up progressive barriers that marked out progressively holier spaces. In the tabernacle, this looked like the fenced courtyard and then the covered holy place and then the separated holy of holies. The structure emphasized the holiness of God and protected the holy places from being corrupted in any way from impurity. It ensured that only the holiest of people approached God's perfect holiness. In the ancient world, the temple was seen as the center of life. They were houses, residing places for the gods. So in the pagan world, mankind worked to strike a balance. They offered sacrifices and performed rituals to take care of their gods' physical needs so that the god could focus on their heavenly work of maintaining life, crops, health, warfare, whatever their individual speciality was. So the sacrifices of food and drink were seen to physically cross into the spiritual world to feed the god. The process was accomplished through rituals to open the mouth of the god's idols uh, and through rituals like the burning of sacrifices and offerings to actually transmit them into the heavens and through pouring out the drinks onto the ground. In Israel, the tabernacle was not seen as a house for God, but it did house the place where God would meet with Israel, who was represented by their high priest. The tabernacle did not house an idol, an image of God. Instead, it had the Ark of the Covenant, which of course held the covenant, the basis of the relationship between Israel and God. When the covenant was in good standing, God's presence could and would be with Israel. So then it's no wonder that God chose to appear above the physical copy of that covenant. 
In Israel too, the tabernacle seems to have been the center of life and sacrifices and rituals were commanded by God in the same methods we see outside of Israel, the burning of sacrifices and offerings and the pouring out of drink offerings to give them, to transmit them to God in heaven. However, sacrifices in Israel were about thanking God for his provision to the people and about recognizing that human sin needed God's pardon. In Israel, on the Day of Atonement, it was the whole nation that was purified, driving home the point that it wasn't just the Levites who are God's priests, but the whole nation of Israel. God had a global agenda and he had chosen a place, the Promised Land, and a people, Israel, to begin his work. Israel's job was to theoretically keep themselves and their land separated, holy for God's purposes. Now you said uh, God has a global agenda and a lot of people will jump on that and say, yeah, the, you know, the, the God of the Jews, they want to take over the world and take more. But see, God's global agenda is for every human being to be restored. Yeah. to the place that he created them for. It, it God's When I say God's global agenda, I mean his plan for salvation, his redemption plan. And that was his whole point. We, that's the whole point of the Bible. It tells the story of God's uh, God's plan to redeem humanity so that, huma that humankind can have the option to be restored to the relationship that was lost in the Garden of Eden. Yeah. So, uh, you know, God was setting up this plan of salvation and a huge step forward in that plan was Israel in the promised land. Yeah, that's very interesting. Very good, Corey. Excellent. Ryan? All right. Well, as I mentioned off the top of the program, today I attempt to deal with an apparent contradiction between Numbers 4, Numbers 8, and Ezra chapter 3. And the problem is that the Bible records three different ages for when Levites entered into their service. Numbers chapter 4 verse 3 says that it's 30 years old, but Numbers 8.24 says 25, and Ezra 3.8 claims it's 20 years of age. So we have three different passages, all giving three different ages. Now, how can these discrepancies possibly be resolved? Well, let's study. Many believe the Bible to be in conflict with itself in many places, and therefore reject it as God's word. For example, there seems to be a contradiction throughout the scriptures over the age at which Levites entered their service in the sanctuary. For example, Numbers 4.3 states quite clearly that from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, are all the Levites who entered the service to do the work in the tabernacle of meeting. However, Numbers 8.24 states that from 25 years old and above, Levites may enter to perform service in the work of the tabernacle of meeting and Ezra 3.8 gives yet another age of 20 years. Here we have three separate passages with three different ages for the beginning of a Levite service. In regards to the alleged discrepancy between Numbers 4.3 and 8.24, where the ages of 30 and 25 are given, the Jameson Fawcett Brown commentary suggests that the Levites entered on their work in the 25th year as pupils and probationers under the superintendence and direction of their senior brethren and at 30, they were admitted to the full discharge of their official functions. Given the context of these two chapters, this seems a very reasonable explanation. Bible scholar Gleason Archer agreed and further pointed out that even young Samuel, much younger than 25, was involved in such duties, with particular responsibilities as Eli's houseboy. In other words, he says, there were many different types and grades of service to be cared for by underage Levites. 
Finding the solution for Ezra 3.8, which records the full service of a Levite beginning at age 20, requires that we go back five centuries to the time of King David. Indeed, in 1 Chronicles 23, David changes the age from 30 to 20. Therefore, Ezra 3.8 is simply reflecting those changes made. It is clear upon examination of these scriptures that there are absolutely no contradictions. So due to time constraints, I didn't have time to discuss a lot about 1 Chronicles 23, where King David actually changes the age from 30 to 20. But I really recommend that you check that passage out on your own because it really is fascinating. And the point, of course, is that there are absolutely no discrepancies between any of these passages. On the contrary, exploring these passages reveal the solution, an important thing to remember. And that's really important to check out the scripture and remember that. And by the way, on the next program, we're going to talk about trumpets. Uh, God tells Moses, he said, I want you to make two trumpets and sound. It's going to be very interesting, the sound of the ancient culture. So that's going to be good. Janice? Today, Gathering Together was what I titled my segment. And I really appreciate the Holman Christian Standard Bible Study Notes on this particular chapter of number seven. Now, our reading today was from one through 11. It's talking about the offerings that the leaders are going to be presenting. And so from verse 12, all the way through the chapter, we hear this repetition. And here's how the Holman's Bible Study Notes translates that. Each of the 12 tribal representatives presented the given number of items for use in the Israelite celebration. The repetition in this passage highlights the fact that every tribe participated in the ritual celebrations and had an equal role in the religious practices. And then this sentence struck me, a people in communion with God were ready to worship together and experience his abiding presence. And I thought, you know, it reminded me of what the writer of Hebrews said to the New Testament believers in Jesus Christ. And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, there is something to be said about gathering together with other believers in corporate worship of God. It's wonderful to, to pray and worship and live our lives individually in worship and praise and honor to God, but there's nothing like coming together in that corporate worship. You know, Corey, you and I were both involved, me a lot longer, uh, earlier when I was in high school, involved in, in music and being in a, an orchestra. Right. And you did the same thing. You played French horn and, and I, I played some different instruments. But we've often talked, like there is nothing more satisfying or, or just more enjoyable than being one instrument in an orchestra of many. And you sit at home and you're practicing your part, your part, your part. But then when you get together in that orchestra and all of a sudden the, co the conductor lifts his hands and all of a sudden this music 
comes together. Mm -hmm. And it's such a thrill, isn't it? It really is. It's really hard to describe it. And then also the the noise, the sheer noise of it, you feel it. You feel it. Because it vibrates you. Yes. It, it's very cool. Right. It's and hard even, to describe. It's hard to describe. And and those who, that, that have been involved in, in singing in choirs, you practice your part. You might be a soprano or an alto or a baritone or a bass. And then when you come together, and the same thing, you hear the intro on the piano or the organ or the whatever, and or from the orchestra, and then all of a sudden, you break into these, these parts, and the thrill, there, mm -hmm. it's there. And that's what this reminded me of, that there is something to be said for corporate worship. When we come together as believers in Jesus Christ, meeting in our places of worship, where you, wherever your church is, and I know things have changed in the last while with COVID and some people, you know, and thank God for technology that those who are not able to physically go to that building, you can still join on Zoom. I have one friend, Mary, who does her church service on Zoom and they do it by their phone or a lot of churches have the online area but i'll tell you if you can get to church please do that that corporate worship where you can literally as you're saying corey that feeling it's very hard to describe but when you're standing in a congregation and you're singing together you're worshiping or you're praying and you're hearing the involvement of amen or hallelujah over here or uh, somebody singing behind you or in front of you there's a thrill and a joy to know that there are others you're not just out there by yourself there are other believers who love the Lord Jesus Christ and when you come together and worship together oh my there's nothing like it so if you've never been to a live church service or you've held back, you've been a little bit fearful to get going, you know what? Just pray and ask for God's protection and get back to church and get into that involvement of corporate worship together and feel that presence of God. Because when we gather together, it says where two or three are gathered in my name, the Lord said, I am in their midst and he is there and you can feel it. So please do that today. Let me encourage you gather together. And I know your pastors are sitting at home going, amen. Come on back to church. We want to see you there. Thank you for watching the program today. And I, I just wanted to say that on YouTube, there is a place, Pastor Rod Hembry. And if you go there and subscribe to it, you go there, you'll find a program called Beyond the Call. And that program is there for you. It's a brand new program that we're creating testimonies of people. It's very exciting. And we're doing that on a regular basis. So make sure you go there right now. Let's pray. Lord, help me to live my life for you following in your paths.